The percentage of Latino immigrants belonging to the middle and upper socioeconomic classes in their countries of origin has been much higher in Miami than in other areas of the country. In the last 60 years, we've seen the arrival of many highly educated, entrepreneurial immigrants from around Latin America. Hey everyone, bienvenidos a Estoy Aquí. We are your hosts, Catherine Castro and Catherine Borgen. Somos Guerreras de Cultura e Injusticia, bringing you your bi-weekly dose of spice. So for this episode, we'll be talking about something near and dear to both of us, Miami. Miami has always been the exception to many, many rules. It's always been extra. We're extra <laughs> in just about everything, including our history. Girl, you know... I've actually never really dug into our history. It's like, we all know that we're different. We're a different breed and we live in this bubble. Or in our case, we lived. But what I'd really want to convey to our listeners and people, especially people who aren't from Miami, is why. Why are we so special? Why should y'all pay attention? What can you tell us about this, Kathy? So... Being extra, according to the Urban Dictionary, means being over the top and having excessively dramatic behavior. So I guess to really better (laughs) understand Miami, I guess we should start in the beginning. Um, Florida was a Spanish colony established by Juan Ponce de Leon in 1513. So the state was incepted through Spanish influence. Of course, we can't talk about Hispanic influence without mentioning our Cuban and Puerto Rican fam. I think we should explore the wave of this migration to Miami. In the 1900s, the first wave of Cubans and Puerto Ricans migrated to Florida, particularly the Tampa area, for two main reasons. They were fleeing Spanish colonialism, which lasted until the late 1890s. And Florida had a booming cigar industry, so a large amount of Cuban tobacco workers migrated to find work here. Prior to this, though, a Puerto Rican and Cuban community had already been established as a result of economic and political connections between the Caribbean and the U.S. that had formed through the sugar trade. And since Florida was one of the principal states where the Cuban and Puerto Rican communities had emerged, it formed as a foundation for Cuban and Puerto Rican presence and immigration to the states. Then we had a second wave of Cubans migrating to Florida for different reasons in the 1960s. They were political refugees. These political refugees had settled in South Florida as a result of Fidel Castro's revolutionary win in 1959. Because this new group of Cubans were not economic migrants, but rather political migrants, they were better educated and wealthier than the previous groups of immigrants from Europe and Puerto Rico. So the Puerto Rican migrants actually came to the United States during this time mainly for socioeconomic reasons, just like the Dominicans post uh, the 1980s Dominican migration. So essentially, a pivotal point for Miami and South Florida in general was during the second wave of migration, no? There was already an established Latinx community in South Florida where they found refuge in order to, quote, temporarily escape the Castro regime. And Cubans then propelled the labor market, which helped local economy. In turn, this attracted other immigrants to this area. And not only that, but the Cuban refugee program really helped draw people in, which, needless to say, helped push money into Miami's economy. Uh, KB, do you care to explain the difference between political and economic migrants? 
Yeah, of course. So a political migrant is typically um, someone seeking persecution from the government. Um, they are leaving a country for fear of persecution based on the basis of race, religion, nationality, political opinion, or membership of any particular social group. While an economic immigrant is are people who are seeking better standards of living, a source of income, and they leave their country basically due to really bad economic conditions. Yeah, needless to say, uh, the Cuban influence in Miami is evident in everyday life. Well, yeah, you see it with the coladas and cafecitos that we have every day, <laughs> the men smoking cigars and playing their dominoes in Little Havana with their guayaberas, like mm-hmm. the music, the way we be- people speak Spanish, Hialeah. <laughs> Dude, my dad wore a guayabera to my uh, graduate degree um, ceremony. <laughs> exactly. You see, it's everywhere. Yeah. So I think the city is unique in the sense that Latinx folk helped build it up and helped it, you know, help make it what it is today. And as such, we have a lot of political power there. So Miami today... According to the latest data from the Census Bureau, out of almost 3 million people living in Miami-Dade County, 70% are Hispanic or Latinx. Girl, that's not surprising. Mm-hmm. 52% of these people are foreign-born. To conceptualize this number, let's compare this with Webb County in Texas, which has the largest Hispanic population proportionally in the United States. It's 95.5% Hispanic, but out of that 95.5%, Sent only 25% are foreign born. We have twice that amount. Whoa. 73% of people ages five and up speak a second language at home. 61% speak Spanish. And, and this is Miami, right? This is Miami Dade County, baby. And Girl. fun fact after Mexico, the US has the second largest number of Spanish speakers in the world, meaning Dude. a huge group of them are. In Miami-Dade County. Wow. So we have a lot more influence than I thought. Mm-hmm. We have political power. We have the language. We have all that going on for us. Um, according to Andrew Lynch, a linguist, he said, the percentage of Latino immigrants belonging to the middle and upper socioeconomic classes in their countries of origin has been much higher in Miami than in other areas of the country. In the last 60 years, we've seen the arrival of many highly educated entrepreneurial immigrants from around Latin America. He says the city's unique immigration history has made it such that Miami's populace sees, I quote, Spanish as a prestigious language and not at all linguistically subordinate to English. Carl, yes. Mm-hmm. He thinks that this perspective may be why Spanish is used so often in restaurants, stores, and just in the street. It's just why I'm always so taken aback when I meet someone or like a Latinx folk who does not speak Spanish. I feel like in Miami, it's expected you speak Spanish. Yeah, it's kind of like a requirement. Spanish is first and then English comes later, right? But to kind of go back to what you said, quoting Andrew Lynch, it's one of the few times where Miami isn't painted in like this poor migrant workers and we're over here uh, crossing the border trying to quote steal american jobs instead they describe us as being armed with work permits university degrees and high expectations of upward mobility and we come to this country willing and wanting to buy big houses to to place our families and start these great new lives right Mm. so it's really nice to be able to see these articles where people see us in this positive light and we're making 
positive strides forward instead of bringing down what the American dream should be. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. I feel like, you know, being born and raised in Miami, just all around us, regardless of the socioeconomic status, people hustled. People worked hard and they did what they had to do to get by. You know, they Mm -hmm. worked two to three jobs. um, And a lot of times... I feel like whether you were educated or not, you were always out there hustling and make, making the most out of the opportunities that we have here in the United States. Spanish is spoken everywhere in Miami. You'll find now hiring English a plus signs, not a necessity <laughs> all over the place. Yes. Do you remember seeing those signs where it's like all in Spanglish? Like you, <laughs> you don't, like every other word is either Spanish or English. It's not one or the other. Exactly. Did you know, Kathy, that in the 1980s, there was a referendum proposed by the city declaring English as the official language? <laughs> yeah. It, it was until the early 1990s that this thing was, th- that this actually lasted. Why people were trying to contain the influence of Latin America and the Caribbean in Miami by proposing this referendum. And guess what, bitches? Guess what? What, girl? Tell me. We said, fuck no. Nobody yes. telling us how to live. We are unapologetically <laughs> Latinx. And we're going to keep our language. And we're going to keep our culture. Preach. And we're going to keep running shit. Yes, that's why I love my city so much. Because you you keep your roots. You don't. like. It's just ingrained in you. You're born into like this beautiful like there's culture everywhere and Mm. no one can take that away from you exactly all the non-latinx people living in miami at the time you know miami once was believe it or not once a very sleepy city they felt uncomfortable with the changes (laughs) right (laughs) seriously they felt uncomfortable with the changes in the city and they left so the power tipped decisively in the direction of the hispanic or latinx communities there And I think to put this in perspective, today only 15% of Miami-Dade's current residents are white non-Hispanics. Honestly, that number to me, at least through my experience, my 20-something years of living in Miami, that number seems pretty high to me. I didn't have a white friend until my mid-20s. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So even that 15% in my mind, through my lens and how I experienced Miami, seems pretty high to me. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I actually never really had my first non-Latinx like white friend until I moved to D.C. five years ago. And that's when I really started kind of interacting with people outside of my like Latinx, Hispanic, Caribbean culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's, it really kind of took me aback thinking about that. Just that fact. Like, yeah, it's weird. For Latinx communities, Miami is very attractive business-wise. Latin Americans get to be in the U.S. with all of its advantages, but still keep their cultural roots. You can start your own business in Miami without knowing a word of English. And if you're a business owner in Latin America and the Caribbean, you already have an audience set up for you. You have mm-hmm. a market in Miami and South Florida in general. 
I mean, put it this way, 25% of businesses in the state of Florida are owned by Latin American immigrants. Girl, yes, say it one more time louder for those that did not hear it because I love that statistic. I mean, think about all the the people that we need growing up, like in high school and like everybody had their own side business or their own business. Like one of our really good friends, like she had, her mom had like her own restaurant. Um, I knew someone else whose mom had her own like home health care. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just the hustle. Like my dad has his little own side like business thing going on. Like your parents did too. Your mom ran an entire store, like her own yeah it's crazy and you know not to say that our parents don't know english but it's not their first language and they were able to get by like that you know yeah dude even now like i love my parents my parents are great shout out to mommy papi but like they can defend themselves Mm-hmm. But they, they can't have a whole full-blown conversation in English, you know? <laughs> I still get those screenshots or those pictures of like, hey, can you like translate this for me? Because I don't know what it says, you know what I mean? Because it's not necessary to learn English in Miami. Everything, mm-hmm. even at the bank, the bank tellers and like the people who work there, like and everywhere you go, the mm-hmm. hospital, the bank the store, doing your nails, going out to eat. It's all Spanish. It really, really is. Um, And I think that this opportunity in the language and just our presence there, Hispanics in the Latinx community occupy a very different position in the power structure compared to elsewhere in the U.S. People who own restaurants are the ones who speak Spanish. It's not just the workers in the back that do. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of business opportunity there, but obviously life isn't easy for everyone, especially from the majority that do not come from wealthy families in Latin America and the Caribbean. Yeah, there's still a lot of gentrification here, or there, rather. And there's there's a divide, as with anything else, regardless of... The majority of us being foreign-born, they're still pushing forward and making the best of what they have, right? Yeah, I mean, Miami is the embodiment of affluent Latin American aspirations of a life of safety, stability, and comfort. The city embraces its cultural diversity for what it is. Yeah, I wouldn't change it for anything else in the world. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, growing up in Miami makes you a hustler. Like I had mentioned earlier, that hustle, that spirit is brought from Latin America and the Caribbean, from everyone migrating, trying to make it in the U.S. Like that spirit is very, very much there. And I think that's passed on to first, second uh, waves of generation. I definitely can attest to that. (laughs) Always finding a way, make it work, make it happen. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) Getting back to the Spanglish, so I just remember seeing signs like open 24 horas. Speaking of 24 hours, can we talk about getting Latinx food 24-7? Kathy, can you remember any staples in Miami? Dude, my shit was Los Verdes. Oh my Straight God. Up. Can we explain to the lovely people listening what Los Verdes is? Girl. <laughs> It is Colombian fast food, but it is the most delicious thing. Like I'd always get, what was the name of that? Like red, blue, gold, like Coke or soda that they had. I can't remember the name. I don't remember. It was Colum- 
Colombianita or something. I don't remember. Yeah, that one's red. Red and yellow. But anyway, <laughs> sorry for our Colombian friends because we have no idea. But yeah, dude, they would have like these hot dogs with like broken up like Lay's chips on top and like Oh my god. Sanchipapas. Oh, oh my, my gosh. <laughs> and then like they put pineapple on that shit and they had like the pink sauce and like the green sauce. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, this was Verdes, Versailles, this Cuban staple of Miami. Like 24-7, Baca Frita, 24-7, Dopa Vieja. Bitch. Mm. Oh no, my personal favorite. I don't think it's open 24 hours, but it was legit, dude. So I don't know if any of you guys know about Mary's Coin Laundry. Oh my God. It's a laundromat that has... A little bodega, and a bodega is essentially like a little corner store, and they also made food. So you can do your laundry, read a book, and have a Cuban sandwich at the same damn time. Oh my god, that sounds like heaven. Mm-hmm. Except the fact that I'm hauling my own fucking laundry to another location, but that sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, nothing happens in Miami on time. I mean, I think we need to calculate how late like you're gonna be based on the number of people going to an event and their ethnicity. So it's like, oh, dude, Kathy, Mandarin <laughs> friend, she's gonna be thirty minutes late. The Cuban, an hour late. Like seriously, you need to mathematize that shit. Like to this date, I have to tell my mom that we're gonna like something starts an hour and a half before it actually does. <sighs> And I'm not going to lie, that has trickled down to me. Like, I'm late for fucking everything. Dude, I was 30 minutes late to an interview today. How fucking dumb is that? Womp, womp, womp. Seriously. Yeah, girl. For work, I have to tell myself I start at 9 instead of 10 so I can get there at 9.30 or 10 o'clock. It's really interesting because it's, like, socially acceptable in Miami to be late. Like, it's an expectation that you're going to be late, like Mm -hmm. you said. And here in D.C., it's so different. Like, you need to be very respectful of people's time because people acknowledge the fact that everyone has very limited time and they got shit to do. It's just Um, common courtesy, dude. (laughs) It is, but I'm okay with being a little late. I've become a little anal moving to D.C. It's like, if you tell me you're going to meet with me at a certain time, I expect you to confirm with me the day before and show up there five minutes early. (laughs) Because I do the same thing. Coming from the woman who showed up 30 minutes late to an interview. Hey, I give him a heads up an hour before I was 30 minutes late, okay? (laughs) (laughs) I was responsible. My parents, when I moved here, the first thing, like, not the first, but one of the things my dad told me was like, ten cuidado que los americanos siempre están puntuales. And I'm like, shit, you're right. It is true. And what I said for non-Spanish-speaking listeners is, be careful, because Americans are always on time. And I was like, shit, you're right. <laughs> I mean, that's like a very like minor thing, but I think that traveling outside of Miami really makes you realize you're more Latinx than you thought you were. Mm. Honestly, like being, being and living outside of Miami and just traveling a lot more over the last five years has helped me realize and helped me really embrace my roots and my Latinidad. Yeah, girl, I can totally completely agree to that. Like, you've been outside of Miami, like, living outside for, what, like, the fa- past five years? Mm-hmm. I just moved outside of Miami. And, I mean, I lived elsewhere before, but it was San Francisco. Like, San Francisco is just a different like a hippie Miami, you know, almost. 
Um, not to say that there's anywhere like Miami, but now that I've moved to like a place like North Carolina, like I completely, completely see what Miami's given to me. I've seen my roots. I'm more interested in my identity with my Latinx, like with who I am as a Latinx person. I've really embraced it and like I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I think it's a beautiful thing, you know, like really realizing mm-hmm. like all this gr- like this greatness and how different you are being from this place that nobody understands except for the people who grew up there too. <laughs> that is 100%. And I think everyone can say that about their hometown, but again, I think in terms of identifying as like being a part of the Latinx community and then meeting other Latinx folks from around the country. I just sense this huge difference and divide in the way that we, free being from Miami, maneuver the world and the way that we see ourselves and I guess the power that we hold because we hold so much power in in Miami and I know that people there must right now be rolling their eyes like (laughs) what are you talking about like nah seriously like we have a lot more power than we think we do that we acknowledge that we do yes there's corruption crime we have terrible public education system and all those things but we're represented proportionately our all our representatives are congressmen or mayor like they're Hispanic they're Latinx Mm -hmm. and we have a voice yeah, because there's so many of us in Miami. Like, there's so many people, like, from Latin American and Caribbean, people who identify as Latinx, that we put people who look like us into positions of power, no? Mm-hmm. But, like, just to go back on what we were saying about, like, being from Miami and how that's so different from being from anywhere else. And, like, you you mentioned that everybody feels the same about their hometown and i'm sure that they do but like kathy like you wake up and you go to a corner store and you're speaking spanish you speak spanish to your teachers in school like your your teachers in school most of them don't even barely can speak english you know what i'm saying like dude our teachers in fucking mommy did girl all the math teachers, I could not, like, I was like, I so, could not understand some of them. Miami-Dade um, is Miami-Dade College. Uh, Kathy and I both went there after we graduated okay. high school, um, before we went to Florida International University. And we we took a lot of classes together. Um, and our fucking math teachers, like, don't, don't get me wrong, they were great. I learned a lot, but... If you don't know how to switch between Spanish and English the way that we do, then you're fucked. Like my little <laughs> sister, she had the hardest time with math because all her teachers were were like foreign born and they didn't know how to like pronunciate certain things or just explain it in English. And like we had our fast food was pollo tropical, bro. Like yo, chicken on the grill. Yeah, girl. Like uh, yes. you can get rice, beans, chicken, uh, yuca, like uh, tres mm, leches on the fly. Yo, Come on. flan. Yo, you're you're so right on the flight and like drive through style, bro. Drive through style. Yeah, uh, like we're always embracing our Latin culture and our Latin roots and our people and ourselves and celebrating. Everything's a party. Everything is. It's it's such a different experience. Like I don't know who I'd be if I didn't grow up in Miami. Dude, we had Calle Ocho, we had Celebrus, we had summer all year round. 
We had quinceañeras all the time, though we all celebrate them differently. Everybody was late to everything. Spanglish is the official language. <laughs> like, again, dad's always wearing guayaberas to every single fucking occasion, including the workplace. It's just a whole nother beast. I was reading this Thrillist article that you had sent to me earlier, and it was this this woman recalling like her experience growing up in Miami and what she learned after she left. And whether it was positive or negative, it still was impactful in a way that I just don't think that anyone else can get anywhere else in the world except for here. Here being Miami, because I forget that I'm not there anymore. <laughs> So, Kathy, let's talk about this episode's Cocotazo and who that's going to and why. All right. Today's Cocotazo goes to the man who said Miami is a third world country. Let me start off by saying that homeboy is not even from Miami. Seriously, he's not even from here. Who's Manzis? <laughs> Who's Manzis? So in 2006, uh, Republican Congressman Tom Tancredo f- from Colorado criticized the city's poverty and crime while attending an immigration conference. He's a local supporter of the anti-legal immigration movement in the U.S. House. Again, this was back in 2006. He said, and I quote, Look at what has happened to Miami. It has become a third world country. You just pick it up and take it and move it someplace. You would never know you're in the United States of America. You would certainly say you're in a third world country. Bro. Coco tasso to this man. To him, to his mama, to his baby mama, to his children. Okay, no, not his children, but... (laughs) (laughs) Okay, take it back a notch. Just to him. Yeah, to him. He's at fault for, for his fucking words. For his discrimination, for his ignorance. He's ignorant because I feel like that's what makes the United States of America such a great place, no? We have these people from all over the fucking Latin American and Caribbean, and they decided to turn a little piece of the United States into home. And that's just the fabric of our nation, immigrants. We are the fabric of this country's economic backbone, um, social uh, fabric. We make this country what it is, and I hate this narrative the Republicans have always had, not to get political or anything against immigration. It's like, do you want to end up fucking your own cousins, you fucking inbred? Like, <laughs> Tell me how you really feel. Stop with this bullshit. Like, you're, you are not native to this country. No don't, one is, except ask. for the indigenous people mm. of the Americas. That's it. I mean, to be quite honest, like, Miami is a developing country in a sense. When you look at poverty and equality and the fact that it shows very similar traits to countries in Latin America that have inequality and poverty issues, put it this way, Latin America has an over-reliance on low-wage industries like the services and tourism and hospitality, and so does Miami. There's a huge lack of a STEM labor force, STEM being science, technology, engineering, and math, because of the lack of available labor for these industries. And this is the exact same issue that countries in Latin America and the Caribbean are facing. There aren't enough educated and qualified people to fill these kinds of positions. So, But what leads to that? Like, there's a reason like there are people in the and not every single person in that country decides we're not going to study this like there's a reason oh what yeah is definitely it? i mean it's the allocation of resources it's the way that the 
the county or Miami in general as a city and Miami-Dade County manage their funds. I mean, people need to put more money into education, public education, um, into more technical vocational schools. And that's just not happening right now. And not to mention there's brain drain. Like everyone who does get an education dips. Unfortunately, Miami Dade educates people for other communities, and I'm guilty of that. I mean, I went to FIU, I got my master's here in DC, and I haven't been back. Have I thought about it? Of course I have, but I don't think I'm in a place where I'm ready to move back, and I don't think there's much opportunity for me there. Again, the labor force there is mostly reliant on low-wage industries like services and tourism, and that I'm just so completely out of that feel that it'd be impossible for me to really find anything. Miami also has issues with corruption. Like back in 2013, three mayors were were arrested in one month for ethics violations. And Colombia's top anti-corruption official was busted taking bribes at Dolphin Mall. Girl, Dolphin, (laughs) really? Where they have Dave and Busters and shit? Yes, dude. (laughs) What the fuck? This was like a few years ago. And do we want to get into police brutality? Probably oh. not for this episode. No, no, no quiero empezar. No. Mm-hmm. Then we got reckless ass motherfucking driving. Oh, girl, don't get me started. I-95. <laughs> girl, the fuck. We got climate change. Miami's motherfucking drowning. It's going to become Venice in the next like 50 years. That honestly makes me sad. Just because that's our home. That's my home. Like Anyway. And Miami was built on cocaine money back in the 70s and 80s. And Have you guys heard of cocaine cowboys? Google it. <laughs> <laughs> I think the last point I wanted to make on drawing comparisons between Latin America and the Caribbean and developing countries to Miami as a develop, developing country, not a third world country like this motherfucker said. So... Racism. The racism and just white supremacy felt in Latin America and the Caribbean as, you know, just kind of stemming from colonialism and imperialism is very much felt in the city. There's issues of segregation and mm. um, it's it's rough. Yeah. And I know we've missed talking about things like in deeper about racism and inequality and poverty in Miami. And trust me, we'll talk about these things in our next few episodes. But I think this episode, we just wanted to highlight what makes Miami a unique experience for Latinx folks in this country. And yes, there are problems of poverty, education, corruption, and crime, but every major city has these issues. I feel like we should take some time to highlight the positive, and that's what this episode aims to do. And yeah. let's just grow into ourselves together and don't ever let anyone outside of Miami try to define us. At the end of it all, when people see Miami, people think uh, Miami Beach, and girls in bikinis, uh, Brazilian wax, uh, body modifications, like getting bigger boobs, getting liposuction, getting your ass done. Like, <laughs> it's all about, like, Miami's super fat phobic. It's all about how you look at superficiality. I get that. And partying, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, I'd be lying if I said that we didn't live through that. However, one of the biggest points that I want to get across through this episode is, like, there's so much more to it than just what's on the surface and what you hear on Will Smith videos and like I love that song. I know my favorite part when he's like there's no place in the world like this and if you ask how I know I gotta plead the fifth. What? Yes. <laughs> oh, tell me more girl. Hey motherfucking man. I 
Anyways, sorry, continue. <laughs> it's true, though. <laughs> I feel like with all this, like, Latinx culture brought to Miami, we just maneuvered differently from the rest of the country. I mean, do you want to talk about all the nonsense that we get into at a very, very young age? Dude, I'm sorry for whoever's my family that's listening to this. But, I mean, let's talk about our first encounter or the first time we hung out. We skipped school. You know, mm-hmm. like, that was that was just a, <laughs> no big deal. Like, oh, let's just go to Starbucks. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, everybody was smoking weed. I was the guy that showed everyone how to smoke weed. Being ignorant and, like, going to house parties. Like, I remember hearing about all these, like, ecstasy parties that people would have in, like, fucking ninth grade, dude. Come on. Dude, I was on the beach once, and this guy came up to me and was like, hey, do you want to go to a party tonight with me and my friends? And it was, like, some white, like, Latinx dude just coming up to me, and he looked, you you know, he had like a nice watch on. He was like with the gang of friends. I don't know if you were there, but he, he basically his, both his parents were doctors and they were out of town and he was hosting a, a special. What's it called? This, like oh, the special, special K, K party. party. Yeah, I was there on the beach. Yeah, dude. What? Like it was all cool, normal, just popping up to stranger, inviting us to that kind of party. I was just like, yo, no, thank you. Like, that's disgusting. So know. for those of you who don't Ugh. know, Special K is actually a really big thing in Miami, especially for Miami for uh, people who have money. Uh, special K is ketamine, and it's essentially a horse tranquilizer. Mm. And we were kids, maybe, like, freshman maybe freshman in college and we were getting invited nonchalant like on the beach just like Mm -hmm. tanning in our bikinis and like some dude just comes up to us and invites us to this special k party dude and just coke is so easy to find everywhere like i remember one time being at a gas station and there was a girl with a little bag of fucking coke stuck to the back of her leg Stop. Like waiting in line. Yes. It's like, and you saw those little bags everywhere. CVS, like <laughs> gas stations. Dude, you remember those quickies with those little pipes they would sell for, quote, tobacco? Oh, and like yes. How everybody had a, a fake ID plug. Oh my God. Yes. Dude, the fake ID. For your 21st oh. birthday, I wasn't 21 yet. And we went to New York with <laughs> the fakest fake ID in the world. Dude, remember you got your fake ID to get away with at the, at the strip club that we went to that one time. <laughs> we sound ridiculous. Dude, that sounds so stupid. Yeah, this is our life growing up in Miami. So yes, a little different, you know? There's always drama because we're always Latinos. Tra- always. Uh, like you're talking about winter, like... The coldest it would get in Miami is maybe 40 degrees. And that was when I was like in middle school. But my favorite part about, quote, winter in Miami is the moment it gets under 60. Ya tu sabes, those those Latin mommies with their Uggs on. Oh, my God. (laughs) The Uggs, the scarves. It's like, bitch, it's not that serious. (laughs) It's not that serious. But you already know you gotta take advantage. Wear that one day, one day a year. Can we talk about the men who drive like six series, like BMWs, but live at home with their mom in a two bedroom apartment? Girl, yes, we all know that guy. I don't want to put anyone up front street, but there's this dude that I know. <laughs> He's like in his early thirties, and he lives at home with his mom and his fiance. I don't know. I think that's kind of gross, to or- be honest. 
at the same time, B, you got to think about like the way our parents were raised, right? My family, like my mom, she grew up with nine brothers and sisters, including herself. If it were up to my mom, I'd still be living at home. That's true. And that's a very, like, that's something for another episode, but it's very normal to see generations of families living together in a Latinx household. So next time you're trying to judge someone. No, it's true. And like, I feel like in even in my neighborhood, because it's so hard to get by in Miami, this is another thing. Like, it's so expensive living there and it's so hard to get by. Um, you, you'll see outside of like single family homes, like for three to four cars parked outside because you have several generations of of people, families living together under one house to pay one mortgage. I mean, outside of my house, we had four cars, four cars outside this little like single family home because we all worked and we were all living together and we were all putting money into the house. Like, and that Mm -hmm. is the same for all working, you know, just the working class people. Like, don't get me wrong. If you're at home living with mommy and you're 40 something and you're literally having her cook all of your meals and she's paying for all your shit, then cocotazo to you. But if you're like generations of family where, you know, it's real, it's very real. My I grew up, my grandmother raised me. She helped raise me. So it's like you have the grandma and the grandpa and then you have your parents and then there's you and then if you have kids there's that you know what i mean mm-hmm. and you all take care to, of each other and you all contribute to the household it's it's not like this whole like we're breeding bums situation it's more like we're building a community for our people can we talk about how we dress up for every fucking thing when i was a kid if i would not like pretend to look like a decent human being to go outside and get the mail i would get in trouble mm-hmm I would get in trouble for going outside of my PJs. I remember that. My mom would always tell me to put earrings on or like do something with my hair. And I'd just be like, mom, let me be. Just yeah. let me be. Girl, <laughs> I know. You wear makeup to everything. And God forbid your hair is not done. It's just bringing back like some crazy memories. <laughs> Growing up with my parents. Crying about not having anything to wear when my closet's full of clothes. Like, Jesus. For real. It's so interesting how we evolve as we leave, like, our birthplace and that birthplace being the city of Miami, where it's all about appearances and how people perceive you. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So there's a question that we ask people that we meet from Miami whenever we interview or we just come across them. And I'm probably going to... No, I am going to ask you, B. Like, so what did Miami teach you? And what would you change if you could change anything i think miami taught me to be unapologetically latinx to really embrace my culture and my roots it taught me to have a voice for myself um it taught me to speak up and not be afraid to speak up regardless of who's sitting at the table um it taught me to hustle it taught me to to be resourceful um for myself and be independent always be on the lookout it taught me to understand that people may have good intentions but still you know trusting but always verifying um <laughs> that's the city yeah not trusting to trust trust but you know you gotta ver- verify like I, I i believe what you're saying but let me just go double check real quick like that's just <laughs> that's <laughs> that's just kind of how i operate and i operate that way in every single way and i feel like it's just really really taught me that um 
And most importantly, I think just standing up for myself and like having that voice. Like I'm not afraid in a very white dominated city, in a very white dominated field of work. I obviously acknowledge that I'm different, but I also acknowledge I have a privilege being at at the tables that I have sat at. Um, And I acknowledge that it's a privilege me being there because of the, the social economic place where I'm at right now which I'm so broke, everyone, but I'm just saying compared to like the rest <laughs> of the Latinx folks in in the country, compared to the educational t- attainment, I'm definitely in a different place. And like, I acknowledge that privilege and I don't let that go to waste. I use every single moment that I can to speak up, to stand up and to influence um, my workplaces in a way that will positive, positively impact us POCs and Latinx folks. So um, I think, I don't know, it just really taught me to carry that that love and that passion. And what would it change? The superficiality, it really fucking kills everything, to be honest with you. Um, in terms of like looks being so important, like Ruben Blades wrote a freaking song inspired by Miami called Plastica. <laughs> it's just, it's how it is. And it's it's sad, but I feel like people need to be a little more woke and I know you hate that term, but people need to be a little more aware of what's happening outside of Miami, aware of what's happening in the world and just kind of put themselves in that position rather than seeing Miami as this very narrow place to to be and live. What about you, B? What has Miami taught you and what would you change? Miami has made me more aware of who I am. It's really taught me how to just not give a fuck like Mm -hmm. be myself and be okay with that um it's made me saucy it's made me spicy it's made me different and i'm okay with that and i love it i love it it's really just show me to embrace you know because miami is that place like where it completely immerses itself in its culture and all the different cultures and all the different backgrounds and like it embraces it and it loves it and I really really do appreciate it for making me harder for making me more aware and mm-hmm. and being more careful I trust but not wholeheartedly and it takes me a little bit but it's just part of what Miami has taught me and I wouldn't change that for the world. And something that I would change if I could for Miami is probably how overt it is with its old ways. Like the whole, like some parts of the Latin American culture that have come and stayed and haven't changed and it's overtly there and people don't do anything to change it. Like uh, machismo and sexism and racism and it's all over and it's all there and there haven't been changes made or people maybe micro changes but at least I, in my experience from what I've seen there's every it's just okay you know it's like it's okay my that's just the way my dad is or it's okay that's mm. just the way they view the world and that's something that I would change help educating people because I do that now in my everyday life that's what I would probably change. Amen to that, girl. Amen to all of that. <laughs> <laughs> I hope this episode was kind of helpful in providing some insight um, to those of you who have never visited or don't know Miami or know someone who's from there who doesn't, who might get homesick and just like gain some understanding. And for those of you who are from Miami, 
I hope that you completely, totally feel us. And like we did right by you guys and like kind of covering and very briefly like what makes us so goddamn extra. Producing and editing for this episode was brought to you by Maria Gortel. Music was brought to you by First World, and this episode was made possible by all of you. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram at Estoyaki Podcast and review us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Besitos, Guerreras de Estoyaki.